Welcome to Fur Road. A uh, week away from Christmas, is, so everybody's done with Christmas shopping, right? How many of you are last-minute Christmas shoppers? Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few of you. You guys got some work to do. Uh, I probably would be more of a last-minute shopper if it weren't for my wife, so she keeps me in line, and so that's a good thing. By the way, on, on Tuesday of this week, my wife will have been keeping me in line for the last 25 years. So, yes. She definitely deserves a round of applause for putting up with me for all these years. Yes, and, and believe it or not, it's not always that easy being a minister's wife, so very thankful for my wife. Um, so as we count down to Christmas, let me ask those who are basically my age and older, uh, so anybody like over 30, uh, pretty much, uh, does it seem like Christmas used to be a lot simpler? Okay, yeah, I, I think so too. Um, maybe it's just me being nostalgic, but, but it seemed like when I was a child, Christmas was a, a lot more, a lot simpler, and uh, it was a time without Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Green Monday and uh, Amazon and eBay and all kinds of techie stuff. Um, so in honor of the simpler times of the past, I set up the, the stage with kind of a, a vintage feel up here uh, to remind us what it used to be like. I have my old racetrack up, set up here, and uh, Greg brought his erector set. You know, some of you remember erector set, so that's up here and just kind of a simple tree. Uh, but I did that for a purpose. It's, it's to remind us that when, when you, you kind of strip away all the stuff of Christmas, Christmas, the busyness, the, the message of Jesus coming into this world is a very simple message, but a very profound message, a, a, a message that, that changed the world forever, that, that our world will never be the same after the birth of the baby Jesus. And so before we begin, I, I just want to ask you guys to kind of take a deep breath and uh, Push aside all the busyness, the things that you're thinking about. Some of you are in your mind already. You're thinking, I've got to do this this week. I need to do that and that. And so we just want to push those things aside and, and, and just focus on the simple message of Jesus. Can we do that for a little bit? And, and so let's take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, let me, let me pray uh, just to kind of help us do that. Father, we come before you. Uh, right now to honor you and remember uh, the birth of Jesus. And I, and I pray that for a little bit here, you'll just help us to, to focus and, and to soften our hearts and, and hear what you want us to hear this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Some of the things I remember about my uh, childhood at Christmas time. First of all, uh, I was always excited to receive the, the JCPenney and the Sears catalogs. Uh, and and uh, the, they were thick catalogs, you remember that? And, and I'd go to the back of the catalog right away because that's where the toys were. And, and I'd look through the toys and, and I'd circle all the ones, that, the toys that I wanted. Uh, I don't think I ever got any of those toys, that, but it was fun to dream, right? You know, a kid could dream. And, and so that was fun. Uh, on Christmas Day, uh, we would usually uh, open up our presents in, in the morning. Uh, usually my grandma Tony would come spend the night with us. Uh, because uh, my grandpa Tony died the year before I was born in 1968, so she would come with us. Uh, we'd open up our, our presents. 
Uh, we'd have a special breakfast, and then about noontime, we'd go to my grandma Dodie's. Uh, she lived about half an hour away, and uh, my cousins and I would kind of try to figure out what presents, what we had under the tree. Uh, maybe some packages got torn a bit before we, it was time. To, I'm just saying maybe um, that might have happened a time or two. Um, and snow uh, in Iowa... You know, it, it was, there was actually a pretty good chance that we would have snow on the ground at Christmas time. Now it seems like a thing of the past, unless you watch like a, a cheesy Hallmark movie. There's always snow, right, all around on those. But, but I, I hear Doug Hetty says there's at least a chance this year that we will have snow on the ground. Is that right? Have you heard that? Last time I looked, it was down to like a half an inch on Friday, so... So I'll believe it when I see it here, but that would be awesome. Uh, I've talked to several people this week about some of their memories from, from Christmas when they were children. Nancy Hartley, you know Nancy, um, uh, by the way she was in the hospital this week and she's out of the hospital and now she's in Joplin Gardens doing much better. Uh, she just remembered that, that her big thing she would get was an orange in her stocking and uh, you know, she was happy, excited about that. Uh, her her biggest prized possession one year, she got a a, a red wagon, and and she, she it was her prized possession for years. Um, George and Linda Lawrence, they also talked about very simple Christmases. Sometimes they would get some clothes, and uh, George one year also got a red wagon that that he was so uh, happy about having that that wagon. Pearl Hogan also talked about getting an orange in her stocking, and, and she was excited about that orange. So do you think our, our kids now would be excited about getting an orange in their stockings for their present? Would that, is that what you guys want? Is that on your list? No? Oh, probably not. Yeah. We always put an orange in our kids' stocking just, I don't know, out of old time's sake. I think they just put it back up on the in the refrigerator, but... But Christmas times have passed. It, it, it was fun, and, and Christmas is still fun, but it, it is hard, I think, with all the stuff to stay focused. I got you guys talking now. You're thinking about your Christmas times. <laughs> all right, come on back. All right, come on back. So let, let's, let's switch now uh, to the spiritual side of things. Uh, I, I want to start actually by going back hundreds of years before the actual birth of Jesus this morning. And uh, God promised that a Messiah would come into the world. It, uh, it was through His chosen people, the Israelites, and the, the Savior would come from the line of David. And the, the problem is that things got really messy along the way for the Israelites, if you remember. They forgot how important it was to actually follow God. And, and after God had brought them into the promised land, it wasn't too long if you remember, before they started rebelling against God, they started following other gods, and, and eventually they, they divided into two nations. Uh, God called one Israel, the, one was called Israel, one was called Judah, and uh, they both struggled to follow God. Eventually, both nations were kind of shells of their former selves. Uh, Israel went down first, Judah went down second about 150 years later, and God started using language like the remnant of Israel, okay? And, and when we think about remnant, we think about, you know, the, what's left over. You know, uh, 
we think about the, the leftovers, we think about a you know, piece of fabric, the, the remnant, just the leftover part that you have. And that's kind of what it was with the Israelites. But God continued his plan. He, he continued to carry out his perfect plan through imperfect people. And I don't know how he did that, but he, but he always does. And so I want to share a few thoughts on the way to the birth of Jesus this morning, a new kind of king. You can follow along on the back of your bulletins if you want to. Preparing for a new kind of king. First thing I want to point out is this. Here, the, the belief was this. It was going to take a strong military king to restore Israel. Okay, Israel thought that the only way that they could be restored as a nation would be to send a military rule to help them rise up. And so they believed this Messiah would be a powerful king. Once the Israelites turned their backs on God, military battles became a way of life for them. Okay, that they would win if they had God on their side. They would lose if they rejected God at the time. And, and most of the kings rejected God. And, and so God rejected them. He warned them this would happen when they wanted a king, remember? He said, it's not going to be a good idea, but, but they didn't listen. So God raised up some prophets who tried to warn them about what would, would happen if you, if you don't turn back to God. But then in those prophecies, we started to see prophecies about a coming king, a savior, a messiah. And so then after that period of prophecies were given, we have uh, what's called like the silent period. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have 400 years where we don't have any official word from God. It doesn't mean God wasn't working. We just don't have any official word from God. And history tells us we have other things, other things written. History tells us of a, a series of nations who controlled the, the Jewish people uh, during that time, uh, inclu- including the Persians, the Greeks, the Assyrians, the Maccabees, and then at the time of the start of the New Testament, the Romans. And they had been an oppressed people for hundreds and hundreds of years by the time Jesus came into the world, and it seemed like the only solution would be for God to raise up this military king. Surely that's what God was going to do, and he was going to help them come back to their former glory. And so listen to one of these prophecies. It's given in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So let's start with verse 7. We'll come back to verse 6. It says, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Now, if you're in the middle of being oppressed, you hear this prophecy, and you say, Yes, this is awesome. Okay, this is what we're waiting for. God is going to make all those nations pay for what they've done to us. That's the lens that they're hearing this and they're seeing this through. They were thinking Savior in terms of saving them from their situation. 
Of course, we can look back now and see that that God was sending a Savior for all the world, all mankind, and and we know that, that Jesus was not a military king. But try to just put yourselves in their shoes for a little bit. So first of all, they, they believe that it was going to take a strong military king to restore Israel. The second thought is this. We tend to see what we want to see and hear what we want to hear. Don't we do that? Our human nature is to see things through our own lens and, and hear things through our lens. And it, I think it happens all the time. So let's go back to verse 6 for a minute. It included words like wonderful counselor, prince of peace, Everlasting Father. Okay, those don't, to us, they don't really sound like military words, do they? Okay, the, the word for peace here is shalom, which is often used in reference to uh, an appearance of calm and, and tranquility for, for people or, or nations. The Hebrew word for wonderful is pelah, which actually means wonder or, or miracle. So, so the wonderful and wonderful counselor doesn't just mean delightful and pleasing, but also miraculous. This king would be a miracle-working counselor, not a, a gruff or, or angry counselor, but a, but a wonderful counselor. But have you noticed that once we have an idea in our head, we tend to kind of, everything filters through that, that lens. We just tend to do that. If you are conservative politically, you tend to view everything through this conservative lens. And everything on the other side is kind of wrong and and, and evil. And if you're liberal politically, you tend to to view everything through this kind of liberal lens. And and everything on the other side is, is wrong or evil. And that's just kind of what we tend to do. Israel saw everything through this military lens. And they assumed that this coming king was a military king. So that's what they saw and heard. For those of you who haven't picked up on things over the years, let me give you a little lesson on how things work for sports fans in the state of Iowa, okay? (laughs) You are either an Iowa State Cyclone fan or you're an Iowa Hawkeye fan, okay? There's a big difference, and so a lot of you guys get it wrong when you refer to things. I'm just saying, but but there is a difference, okay? You're you're one or the other. Uh, And through the lens of the Iowa State fans... Everything Iowa does is bad, okay? And, and everything that Iowa State does is good, okay? So I am an Iowa State fan. So <laughs> Iowa State good, Iowa bad, okay? You got it? Okay, what is it? Iowa State good, Iowa bad, okay, good. So we, we do have one Iowa Hawkeye fan in this church, Kevin Van Land, do it. So pray for him, he's right back there, that he will see the light, okay? He, he needs prayer. Now, Iowa State is in the Big 12 Conference, and Iowa is in the Big 10 Conference, and, and so if you're a crazy fan like me, then this carries over to the conference too, okay? So, Big 12 Conference is good, Big 10 Conference is bad, Okay? So, Big 12, good. Big 10, bad. Okay, some of you aren't with me on this. I, I don't understand it. I, so, um, Holly actually grew up in Taiwan, and she didn't know about these really important things uh, when we first got married. 
So I had to teach her uh, in our marriage, and, and so now she knows these things like a champ. You can quiz her, and she knows them. So that, that's really why we lasted 25 years, <laughs> is that she knows these things now. So, okay. Anyway, thanks for going along with me here. So the, that's the lens I see things through as an Iowa State fan, right? I, I think anything Iowa State does is good. And anything that Iowa does is bad. And let's go back to the Israelites then. Remember the lens, the military lens they're seeing things through. But listen to the prophecy in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Wait a minute. This is a a prophecy of Jesus, but this doesn't sound like a military kind of king, does it? Not at all. But we tend to see what we want to see and hear what we want to hear. But then look at this next idea that as we lead up to, to a new kind of king, God is in the business of doing the unexpected. You know, as you read through the Bible, rarely do things work out exactly as people think that they will work out. There are so many stories where God stepped in and did the unexpected. Okay, one of many people's favorites is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, you remember Daniel didn't bow down, didn't do the things he was supposed to, so he was thrown into the pit with the lions, and God did this miracle. And he should have died, but he didn't because God closed the mouth of the lions. Now, do you think Daniel was sitting around before that thinking, oh, man, I hope today's the day I get thrown in the pit with the lions? No way. No. That's, that'd have been scary. He probably thought he was going to die, but God did this miracle. God is in the business of doing the unexpected. In your lives, how often do things work out exactly as you think they're going to work out? Okay, not very often, do they? And how, how many times when you pray, does God answer the prayer exactly as you prayed that prayer? Okay, maybe occasionally, but it's probably the exception rather than the rule, right? But then also, how many times can you look back and, and, and see how a situation uh, has helped you grow? Because God had it figured out. Or how an answered prayer was just the right thing that you needed. You know, I I never expected to go into full-time ministry. I grew up in the church, but but when I went to college, the idea of going into full-time ministry as a career wasn't even on my radar screen, okay? So here's the radar. Here's your normal blip. My blip was out here. I didn't even have that idea. And, you know, I went to college to play football and to to major in business with the hopes that one day I'd make a lot of money. That was kind of my goal. And I would have laughed at you if you had told me that that God had a very different plan for my life. Now, first of all, I wouldn't have been in tune enough with God to even listen to that idea. And secondly, you know, I went to a secular Bible college or secular college, not a Bible college. But because of a campus ministry, my faith changed and grew, my priorities changed, and I began to listen to God's leading for my life instead of trying to follow Dan's leading. And God's plan was so much better than Dan's plan. And now here I am, 25 years later, 13 years in full-time campus ministry, and and now 12 years 
in church ministry. So I would say if you think you have your life all figured out, you don't, right? But God does. He has it all figured out. God wants to use you. Okay, that's for sure. We know that. But it's probably a little different than you think it'll be. Jesus was not the kind of king that they expected, but he, he was better than any kind of king they could have ever dreamed of. I love Ephesians three twenty and 21 that says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, God is in the business of doing the unexpected. Bigger things than we could ever even imagine. Isn't that awesome? And then when we look at the story of Jesus, we also realize that God often uses the underdog to show his power. Have you noticed that God often uses the least expected person to accomplish his will? Have you ever noticed that? When God chose Saul to be the king by being anointed through Samuel, look at, look at what it said in 1 Samuel 9.21. Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite? From the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Saul's saying, no way. Not, no. And, and then, but 1 Samuel 10, 1 says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? You see, God often uses the underdog to show his power. And then when God chose David to be the next king, and he was also anointed by Samuel, look at what it says then. This is now in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 and 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. The heart. So David's dad, Jesse, brings all his sons out. It starts with Eliab, and then he, he goes down the line. Okay, seven sons in all. And each time it's like, no, that's not the one, no, that's not the one. And so finally they get to the end and Samuel says, well, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's thinking, well, yeah, I got this one, David, that, but he's out taking care of the sheep. I'm sure that's not the one. And of course, you know the story, it was the one. And God used him in an amazing way. The underdog. And God's power was on display. And then we think about the story of Jesus. Talk about an underdog. Bethlehem was, was a town that was not known for much at all. Uh, Jesus was, was born in a, a stable or a barn, basically. His parents weren't famous. They were poor. And, and who did God announce the birth to first through a heavenly host of angels? Who was it? The shepherds. Are you kidding me? Talk about underdogs. A bunch of shepherds and the, the whole sky is full of angels. Nothing about the birth of Jesus gave us the idea that this would be a king 
that would go on to be the Savior of the world. In our worldly standards, in our eyes, in our lens, it doesn't make sense. And then one last thought. I've referred to it several times already. Jesus lived a life of peace, not violence. One of the biggest problems that many people had with Jesus at the time is that that they, they so wanted to be able to escape the oppression of the Roman government. And, and he wasn't raising up an army to fight the government. So let me give you an example of this. You know the story of John the Baptist. His, his job was to prepare the way for Jesus, and, and he did. He, he did a great job with that. And he, he recognized Jesus. You remember when he came to be baptized, and Jesus said, John, I want you to be the one to baptize me. And John's like, no, I can't even tie your sandal, sandals, Jesus. But he did, he, he baptized him. But then at one point, John was arrested later on. And I think John himself started to wonder if, if Jesus was the one. If we look at Matthew 11, verse 2 through 5. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, why is John asking this question? He knew before who Jesus was. I think John was asking the question because he didn't fit the perception of what they thought the Messiah was going to be. He should be establishing a military presence. Why wasn't he doing that? And Jesus said, "John, tell John this. This this is the kind of king that I am. And he listed off his miracles. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. You decide, John, if I'm the one that was to come. You know, here's the thing I think we tend to do. I I think we're a lot like the Israelites, maybe in a different way. But we have our own ideas of, of what the king should be, what he should be like. And if Jesus doesn't fit into our, our perfect little box, we begin to wonder. We want a perfect little, little Jesus who we can, we can put him in our pockets and, and we pull him out when we need him and, and we want him to answer our prayers exactly like we, we pray them. And we don't want him to infringe too much on our lives. You know what? We, we really we want a convenient Jesus. But that's not the kind of king that Jesus is. If I were to summarize what kind of king Jesus is, there's two words that come to mind. He's a servant king. He's a servant king. The word servant and king, you know, that at that time they seemed to be very different. They didn't go together at all. The traditional understanding of a servant is one who has very few choices and is ruled by another. While a king is one who rules and makes all the choices. But Jesus was very different than that. 
a lot of his teaching of the disciples was trying to get this into their heads that it's a whole different thing about who the first and the last will be. Everything's turned upside down. I love Philippians 2, 5 through 7. It gives us an idea of the kind of king that Jesus is. Your attitude should be that the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. A a king who is willing to empty himself of the perfection that he had in heaven. A king who wasn't a military king. A king who practiced what he preached. A humble, servant kind of king. I hope he's your king. If you haven't made him your king, it's time. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. So in the next couple weeks during this Christmas season, when everything is so busy and you're tempted to kind of forget even why we're doing this, let's remember the kind of king that Jesus was, a new kind of king. It's not complicated. It's pretty simple, actually. A king who entered the world in the most humble way imaginable. A king who loves you so much. That's King Jesus. I hope he's your king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you are the kind of king that we need, not the kind of king that we we think we need. And throughout history, you have been doing the unexpected. You've been surprising people. Yet we still try to kind of put you into our own little box of what we think you need to be. I pray this Christmas season that we can just, through the story of baby Jesus, a simple story, that we can just be in amazement and awe of what an amazing an incredible king you are. And I pray that every one of us has made you the king of our lives. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray.